All right, Romans chapter 8. I, know, I wanted to stay in Isaiah 8. I did, but every time I find something new to, to, to delay us from Romans another day. So we're back to Romans chapter 8. Everyone should know the answer here. Romans chapter 8, we have been covering what now for a very long time with lots of delays in between. Six words. What six words have we been covering? Number one, foreknowledge. Number two, predestination. Number three, called or calling. Number four, justified. Number five, glorified. And number six, elect or election. Okay, now... We have, I'm not going to go back to foreknowledge, predestination, justification. I'm not going to go through all of that. Let me just, I want to make this very clear just to, so that we are always on this page because I, it, I, I still get emails, you know, someone will stumble upon this series and then they want to start arguing and it, it drives me crazy because I hate arguing the subject of the doctrine of election just because I've, I've had to go through so many problems with it and get kicked out of a Bible Institute and all the different things that's happened because everybody loses their minds over the subject and I just don't know why everyone gets so upset. So let me just make this very clear again. You have the doctrine of election, okay? So let's put it over here in this corner. This is the doctrine of election right here, okay? It's not going to bite you. It's not scary. It doesn't contain any horrible virus that's going to cause you to die, okay? It's just the doctrine of election, which we have clearly established, is taught where? In the Bible, right? No one can say election's not taught in the Bible because it's in the Bible, right? It's there, right? We're called the elect. If I'm called the elect, there has to have been an election, okay, right? Is that complicated? All right, so it's a Bible doctrine. Now, everyone loses their mind. Let me make it very clear. Don't look at the doctrine of election. And let me just ask you a question. With or without the doctrine of election, who is saved? No, no, forget, forget the doctrine of election. Don't look at the doctrine of election. Just don't look at it. No, 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 don't, don't look at the doctrine of election, okay? You're giving me doctrine of election. It doesn't exist. Those who believe. There, that's the right answer. So no matter, no, whether to, forget the doctrine of election. Everyone who believes in the doctrine of election and everyone who rejects the doctrine of election believes who is saved? Those who believe. All right? Now, the doctrine of election comes in to answer what question? Why do we believe? All right? the, it's not, everyone loses their minds. Like, so, so, wait a minute, what about this? No, anyone who believes can be saved. Amen? Right? We, I obviously believe in the doctrine of election. Uh, ask me, who can, be, who can be saved? Pastor, ask me. Whoever believes. All right, end of story. Now, ask me, who will believe? Those whom God has elected. That's, that's answering the question, if someone believes, why do they believe? I don't have to walk up to someone and go, hey, 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 look here. I, I want to give you the gospel, but I'm just not sure if you're one of the elect. I don't do that. 
I'm like, here's the gospel believe. If they believe, I know the reason they believe is because God elected them, God granted them faith, and God granted them repentance. He's the one who changed their minds. He's the one who gave them faith. Not them. It's not a work that we do. It's a work that God does. If it's a work that we do, then we're saved by works. I was just having a discussion with my friend in Nebraska about this uh, last night. We were talking about this. Let me make it very, because he's preaching on repent, he's teaching on repentance today. And so uh, we were discussion, discussing the doctrine of repentance. And I was trying to, you know, where we're trying to see which view. And I, and I said, so are you going to, because he goes to a very non-reformed church. So I said, so are you going to bring up whose work repentance is? And he's like, no, I'm not going to bring that up. I'm like, of course, yeah, of course not, because you'll probably get in trouble. But the, the sad part is that they believe repentance is whose work? Us. Right? Let me make it very, if I'm in a Catholic university and you're a Protestant, this is how they make you look really, really, really stupid, right? Hey, do you believe in salvation by works? No. What do you believe? By grace alone? Faith alone? Christ alone. I'm like, oh, okay. Does God command you to believe? Do you do that? Is that a work you do? Do you believe in salvation by works? Does God command you to repent? Is that something you do? Is that a work? Okay. You see how they then they make you look really, really stupid? And they're like, hey, you Protestants in class who say that you don't believe in salvation by works, you just proved to me you believe in salvation by works. So would you just get out and stop, stop acting? And Protestants are like, wait, no, 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 no. I don't believe it's, a, I don't believe it's our work. I don't believe it's our work. Okay, if it's not our work, then how did I believe? Yeah, we know, because we believe I believe because God gave me the faith. God granted me the faith. Well, then why doesn't God grant everyone faith? Now, see, that's where the problem comes in, right? Clearly, does everyone believe? So either they don't believe because they chose not to. In other words, it's something they do. If they do it, then it's a work. Then you're saved by works, this is what, you've probably heard this kind of discussion on Christian, on a Catholic radio, and that makes Protestants look absolutely stupid. They call into the Catholic radio station like, I'm going to prove them wrong. And then when it's over, you're like, you should never call another radio station ever again. Because they don't understand. Because they haven't thought this through. So does everybody understand? If repentance and faith is something you do, then it's a work. And, and so people who are not reformed say, no, 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 it's not a work, it's not a work, it's not a work. Well, if it's not a work, then what is it? Why, 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 why did you do it? Well, I just did it. Well, did you do it? If you take any credit for it, then who gets credit for your salvation? You do. Why did I believe in Seth not, hasn't? I'm smarter than him? See, then who's taking credit for it? Me, I get to take credit for it. But if I believe, not because I believe, but because God gave me the faith to believe and gave me the repentance, then I can't say that I'm better than Seth, smarter than Seth. I mean, I may be smarter than Seth, but I can't claim it as far as salvation is concerned, right? So therefore, I can't boast. 
That's why the doctrine of election. And if we say, so if you say, but God gives you the faith, then you have to say, well, why doesn't he give everyone? If he doesn't give everyone the faith, then clearly that's him making a choice, which leads you right to the doctrine of election. Or you have to say, God doesn't give the faith, and then you are claiming that it is something you do, which means you're saved by works. <laughs> do you, you see the theological? Like, I don't understand why this is so complicated. People get so upset about this. Let me just make it very clear. The doctrine of election explains why someone believes. The issue is whether election exists or doesn't exist, you're going to end up with what? The exact same number of believers. Because the only people who saved are people who believe. End of story. Is anybody confused by any of that? Sure, you got that down. You could explain that to someone. All right? Sure? I can give a test. Okay, all right, all right. So this is very, this is like, you can't understand how important this is theologically. This is so important. All right, so when it comes to the doctrine of election, just make sure all it is explaining is why you believed. Why Why did you believe? Because God elected you. Right? And if I, and guess what? You say, well, I don't believe in election. Well, guess what? Guess who's still going to believe? The people who believe. You can argue they did it on their own, which I, I think then makes it a salvation by works, which is going to cause problems with your theology. But whether, we can debate election all day, but when it comes down to it, the people who believe are the people who will be saved. End of story. And people act like, no, no, if you believe in election, then certain people won't get saved. They're going to get saved through the preaching of God's word. Election doesn't stop the preaching of God's word. God elects, but how does he call? Election is something he does in eternity past. How does he do the calling? Through the preaching of God's word. So I may believe in election, but my part is to bring the calling through the preaching of God's word. So when people say, well, if you believe in election, you want to evangelize, Why? Because I don't, election, think about this. You've got to listen to what I'm about to say. It's going to sound heretical. Election doesn't save you in the sense that I'm elected before I was saved. Election then with calling brings salvation. Does that, does that, do you understand what I'm trying to say there? Obviously, I believe those who elect will be saved. But you get the idea that, that I don't just say, well, so, some people were elected. Okay, well, uh, there's got to be a calling that takes place, and God calls the church and Christians to be involved in the calling process. Does that okay? Does that make sense? All right. And so, so that that brings us to election. Now, here's what we're going to do. We've covered, we've looked at New Testament passages. We've talked about it. We've talked about it. I'm just going to go to. I'm going to look at this quickly. I'm going to look at one major objection that people give to the doctrine of election because everyone brings this up. But let me make it very clear. You can object all day, but the end result is those who believe will be saved. So if you reject election, and I believe in election, we both believe that people need to hear the word of God, and if they believe, they will be saved. I believe the people who will believe, who will believe are the elect. You say they're not the elect, fine. But the bottom line is, if they believe, they will be saved. Anyone who believes will be saved. I completely believe that. I just believe that that's already determined by whom, but we can get into discussion there. All right, so what's the one big objection to this doctrine? 
What's one big do- uh, objection always thrown out when we start talking about the doctrine of election? Everyone yells it and everyone screams it. Okay, some people will say, well, wait a minute. So you're saying then those people can't be saved because God didn't choose them? Okay, L- let me just, I'll throw out this objection because it kind of covers everything. They will yell and scream, but God wants everyone to be saved. God's will is everyone be saved. So clearly there can't be the doctrine of election unless God has elected everyone. Now, right there, you see, we start getting yourself in trouble, right? Okay. So but let's go with this idea. God wants everyone to be saved. And we know the passages of scripture that they're going to turn to, right? There's two. Does everybody know which passages they are? Okay, good. You, you got, you're, you're in the right neighborhood. Okay. Well, I'm going to read this from Grudem, and then we'll look at the scripture. Everybody ready? Another objection to the doctrine of election is that it contradicts certain passages of scripture that says God wills for all to be saved. Now, let's stop right here. Let's just think this through before we even go there. I don't care what doctrine you believe in. Let's, Let's not even worry about the doctrine of election right now. Just name a doctrine. Do you believe you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone? James says you're justified by works. Right? Is Christ God? Is God all-knowing? Then why did Jesus say he doesn't know the day or the hour? You say, I can go all day on this. I can go all day on this. Do you believe baptism saves? How come there's a scripture that seems to indicate it does? Do you believe you can lose your salvation? How come there's scriptures that seem to indicate that if you don't produce fruit, you need to be cut off from the tree and thrown into the fire? I can go all day. For every doctrine put forth, are there not scriptures that seem to apparently contradict it? And you say, well, no, that's not the case. No, that's the case. That's why there's 50 bazillion different denominations. Right? And that's a little hyperbole there, but I think when I say 50 billion, everyone knows I'm not giving an accurate number because I don't have the accurate number in front of me. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, so so let's just make, so I just want to make sure when someone says, well, that that scripture contradicts that scripture, and I can take your view and find a scripture that contradicts your view. You say, well, the Bible doesn't teach election because the Bible says God wills everyone to be saved. But I can go to scriptures that literally says that we were chosen before the foundations of the world and we are called God's Elect. Well, if I'm called God's elect, there has to be an election. They say, well, no, God didn't choose me. I chose him. Well, wait a minute. Then that's not God electing me. That's me electing God. So God would be called the elect, not me. Right? So I'm just saying that for whatever view, there's always these supposedly contradictory scriptures. Do I wish that was the case? No, I wish it wasn't the case. I wish it was simple. Do I wish Isaiah 7 and 8 was simple? Yes, but it's not. I wish the Bible was simple. It's not. What, uh, my friend in Nebraska last night, we were talking about repentance and about some of these. He's like, he goes, why does this stuff have to be so complicated? I'm like, I don't know. I wish. He was asking about 1 John, and I was trying to explain that it's a Gnostic polemic. And he was like, wait, what? And, I, and, and I'm like, well, I wish it was simple. I, w- I wish it was simple. And I said, well, have you listened to my series on 1 John? And then he had the audacity to say, I don't know if you realize this, but you do put out a lot of podcasts and it's hard to keep up. I was utterly offended by that because I don't believe that's true, okay? 
I believe that's an excuse because it's easy to keep up. I mean, I'm, obviously it's easy to keep up because I'm recording them. Okay? So, but, so the point is, it's, it's, at times it's difficult. So we're going to look at some scriptures, and let me be honest with you. They're difficult. They're difficult. So what do we do whenever we find difficult passages? We take, we first agree with the difficulty. Always, okay, everybody remember the, per, every, this church, y'all should be experts on this. Whenever we find a theological difficulty, what do we do with it? Agree. Take its logical to conclusion and see where you end up. And at that point, if it falls apart, then that means the thing that you hold to doesn't work. Does that make sense? That's just simple, basic rules of logic. Okay, and, and I, I will agree with you, and then I will take it to a logical conclusion. People don't like when you, when you do that, right? Like, for example, here, here's, here's a claim that people make. God speaks to us. Okay, I agree. God just told me that he doesn't talk to you. Now, how can you tell me that God didn't say that? <laughs> right, right. So, but that point, we see that all the time. We see, we see the logical problems with that because if you listen, just go from church to church to church and every time they say God said something, write it down and by the end of Sunday, you'll be like, God just said 37 contradictory things in one day. That's, that's insanity, right? It leads to chaos. So you can take an idea, take it to its logical conclusion, and realize it doesn't work. So we're going to take these ideas to their logical conclusion and see where we come up with, right? Now, we, I'm not going to say it's going to be an easy answer because they're not. But I'm not, people, what it drives me crazy is if you it, it doesn't matter what doctrinal position you hold to. This is what drives me crazy. Sometimes lay people do it to pastors, and, I, and people do it when I get an email. It's like, I'll preach something and then they'll email me and they'll quote some scripture like, you know, like I didn't know this existed. Like, I'm like, I'm like oh, whoa, I didn't know that verse was there. Thank you. I know they don't mean to come across that way, but it's like, you know, when someone puts forth an idea and someone quotes a scripture like, doesn't that prove it's wrong? You do realize that the other side is very aware of the other verse, right? You, you do realize that. It's not that people don't know the scripture, it's that people have a different interpretation, which means all, all issues are wide, hermeneutical in nature. And so that's what it comes down to. All right. So are you ready? Here we go. Here's what Grudem has to say. All right. Another objection to the doctrine of election is that it contradicts certain passages of scripture that say God wills for all to be saved. So let's stop right here. All right. I know we're making it really far, aren't we? Okay. All right. So we, we address the contradiction argument, right? Because everything has a contra- contradiction argument. All right, let's go with this argument. Let's just go with this. God wills everyone to be saved. Right, you can just write that down. Just, and you can put a question mark next to it. God wills that everyone is to be saved. All right? If God wills that everyone is saved, what are some logical problems that arises from it? Okay, well, okay, number one, God wills everyone to be saved. And what's the reality? Not everyone is saved. Not everyone will be saved. Now, what, what, what's the problem there? All right, well, that means my will is stronger than God's will. Now, what they will argue is, but no, 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 no. It, that, it's God allows you to have your will. Okay, 
you, you can make that argument. But let's just think about this logically. All right, let's just go all the way back. All right. God is what? What are two attributes of God that are very important? All-knowing and all-powerful. All right. God knows. Now, God knows the minute he creates, he's going to bring people into the world who will not be saved. Now, if he wills for them to be saved, wouldn't it be better not to create them? And you say, well, he need, does God need anybody? I mean, that, you've got, I know people don't like that, but you just have to deal with that fact. God knew before he created Adam and Eve, he knew before he created Satan that Satan would rebel, and when Satan rebelled, he could have destroyed him. Like, you just go through the entire system. He knew what was going to happen. So if he willed that everyone would be saved, why would you create a situation where, according to the Bible, the majority will not be saved? That means God's will is... He, his will is constantly God. He, he, he is the most unsuccessful God in the history of gods. Because he wills for everyone to be saved, and for some reason, he can't bring it about. Now, th- there's a second problem. He wills it. Well, wait a minute. All of his actions seem to go against what he willed. Because he created a system where he knew more people would be lost than would be saved. That seems contradictory to his supposed will. Secondly, if he wills it, why doesn't he make it happen since he is all... Could he not have Christ die for all the sins of the world? Even the sin of unbelief? I mean, these are questions you have to ask, right? I'm not saying, look, people get mad, but you at least got to deal with it. If you say God wills everyone to be saved, well, then that means God's will is is being gone against over and 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 over again. I mean, there's lots of issues here, all right? So, let's see where they're going to go. Now, here are the scriptures. iPad times out. Here we go. All right, well, we're not going to, we're going to start somewhere... We're going to start here. Go to 1 Timothy 2.4. 1 Timothy 2.4. This one is sometimes overlooked. All right. Now, I'm, not, I'm going to just throw out a possible explanation. I'm not saying it's any good. But I'm just going to throw it out there. We'll go to 1 Timothy 2. We're going to start in verse 1 because I think it makes, uh, I think the context here is very important. All right? Um, okay, yes. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings, all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life and all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Now, a lot of people will will have an issue there, right? Well, see, God wills everyone to be saved. What's a possible option here? I'm not saying it's very good. What's a possible option? What do you think a possible option in context? He just says prayers to be made for what? In the first, first part of the passage. All men, and he names different what? 
kinds of men. So some can argue that desires all kinds of men to be saved, whether king, whether not a king. I'm not saying that's a great, a great explanation, but that's how some people would, would possibly explain it. We'll see what Grudem has to do just, just to show you that, okay? Does, does that make sense? All right. And then Peter says, now this is the one that's usually always quoted, 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9. This one's quoted all the time. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Please circle that. Is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, some people say, <clears throat> they always quote, but God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance, and they don't quote the first part of the verse. Have you seen that like happen a million times? God is not willing that any should perish. And I'm always like, What's, what does it say before that? And they always ignore it. God is not slack concerning his promise towards whom? Usward. Who's the usward? Okay, well then, that, that's where we could have a discussion and we could go from there, all right? So, those are the two main passages. Let's see what Grudem has to say. All right, everybody ready? Do not these passages contradict the idea that God has only chosen certain people to be saved? Well, I will say this. They may appear to contradict, just like we have passages that appear to contradict Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Just like, I mean, we say we're saved by grace alone, but we're judged according to our works. Remember that whole problem trying to figure that out? Okay, so let's see if there's a way to figure this out. We'll see what he has to say and what uh, he offers up. One common solution to this question from the Reformed perspective, right, which is advocated in this book, is to say that these verses speak of God's revealed will telling us what we should do, not his hidden will, his eternal plans for what will happen. So they say that there are two wills. God has what wills? A revealed will and a what will? Eternal will. The revealed will is God revealing, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm calling you to do. But his eternal will is different. I'm not saying this works out great, but this has been talked about. And and even some non-reformed people will go to some passages of Scripture and kind of go with the same idea. All right, but we'll we'll see what he has to say here. Now, these verses simply tell us, this is what they, they claim, that God invites and commands every person to repent and come to Christ for salvation, but they do not tell us anything about God's secret decrees regarding who will be saved. So they're saying that this is just the idea that God, does God call all people to repentance and faith? Yes. This doesn't have anything to do with God's eternal will, which will determine who will be saved and how they will be saved. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Just, I give you the, the idea, okay? All right, let's see what else they have to say. Is it, do anybody need to repeat that? Does everybody understand that? Yeah, there's different names because, because people will turn to these... Pa- listen, listen, this idea of two wills is not just a reform thing. Even in non-reform world, they'll say, well, okay, well, God does will that. Like God wills everyone to be 
uh, healed, but his divine will is that only some people will be healed. Like, you've seen people come up with all kinds, because there's constant things in the Bible, you're like, well, wait a minute, does God will for people to suffer? Well, no, 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 no. He doesn't will for people to suffer. Like, how do you work this, right? So there's always struggles with how to, to deal with these problems. This is just that same concept being brought over to this problem. Okay, what else, so what else does he have to say here? All right. The Arminian theologian, Clark Pennock, objects to the idea that God has a secret and revealed will. He calls it the exceedingly paradoxical notion of two divine wills regarding salvation. But Pinnock never really answers the question of why all are not saved. Okay? Um, ultimately, Arminians also must say that God wills something more strongly than he wills the salvation of all people. For in fact, all are not saved. So let's stop right here. If you say, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. I don't believe there are two wills. I believe there's one will and God wills everyone to be saved. Then what's your, if you say that, what's the burden of proof on your side? You've got to explain then why is not everyone saved? And then you only have a couple of options. God wills it, but allows my will to trump his will. Well, then he doesn't will it enough. Or he doesn't will it as much as you think he does, right? I, he, I will it so much, but man, they keep stopping my will from happening. Right? But when God willed Israel to come out of Egyptian captivity, did the will of Pharaoh stop the will of God? When Paul willed to go punish Christians, did God's will over Trump? Paul's will by blinding him and knocking him off the donkey? Do you not see many places where God's will overrides the will of men? So why can't he do that in salvation? Well, he, because people say, he'll never violate our will. Well, then why did he give us a will that goes against his will? If he willed something different than the will he gave you. Right? Does that make sense? Like, if he willed that for Bobby to be saved, I'm, I'm trying to use different names because people are, you know, emailing me saying the only person they know in the church is Bobby, okay? All right, but Bobby wills to be saved. Well, why did God, if God wills Bobby to be saved, why would God give Bobby a will that's stronger than his will? So the Arminian position is God wills everyone to be saved and I don't have to explain why they're not other than saying they don't want to be. But that doesn't explain. And here's the thing. This is very important. If God wills everyone to be saved, but then you say God can't violate someone's will in order to save them, then why do we pray to God to save someone? I want you to listen. Arminians reject the doctrine of election and salvation, but they pray like Calvinists. Have you not had friends who are not Calvinists ask you to pray for someone to be saved? Don't do, tell them, I'm not going to pray for them to be saved because they have free will. Why would I pray for God to violate their free will? I'm, 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 honestly, don't do it. I would say, I, why would you... You, you believe they have free will, right? 
So what do you want God to do? Because that would be violating their free will. So I'm not going to pray for them. They never have a good answer for that. They're like, no, I want, and you've heard some strong prayer. God, break them. Bring them to an end of themselves. And you're like, whoa, that sounds like you're really not respecting their free will. I think that's I think that's reasonable. So he says that the Armenian doesn't try to answer the the other possible problem here. Again, he says ultimately Armenians also must say that God wills some things more strongly than He wills the salvation of all people. So let me explain this. God obviously wills something more than He wills the salvation of all people. In the Armenian position, what does He will more than the salvation of all people? Free will. He wills the free will of his creatures more than he wills to save them. Right? Do you see why the, how that would work? He's got to will. It, it, obviously, not everyone is saved, so he has to will something stronger than the will of saving them. Well, the only thing I could explain it would be, would be, what does he will? Your free will. He wills your free will more than he wills to save you. That's a, that's a problem. Would you not agree? So even they would, so that would almost have to say that there's two wills, right? There's God's ultimate will. Listen, this is how sometimes they say it. I think this is what Stephen was going after. This is God's divine will, and this is permissible will. His divine will is that Bobby will be saved. His permissible will is that Bobby can choose whether to be saved or not be saved. That still creates how many wills? What's the difference? <laughs> right? One, the, the reform way, say there's two wills. There's God's will calling people to be saved, but then his will is what determines your salvation. The Arminian says, no, there's two wills. God wills everyone to be saved, but then he wills that your free will makes the decision. You still end up with two wills. One makes God the determinate factor, and the other one makes you the determinate factor. So either way, in the, in the reform view, God's will ultimately is accomplished, right? His divine will is ultimately accomplished. In the Arminian view... Your will is ultimately accomplished. But you still have two wills. Did anybody ever given that much thought? All right. Yeah, yeah, everybody still with me? Because uh, I'm, I'm seeing like maybe, maybe brains starting to kind of get confused. Okay, all right, here we go. Arminians claim that the reason why all are not saved is that God wills to preserve the free will of man more than he wills to save everyone. There you have it, all right? But this is, but, but is this not also making, marking a distinction and two aspects of the will of God? Absolutely. You got two different wills. It's the same thing. You can't, Arminian theologian like, that whole two will thing is ridiculous. You do the same thing. Yeah, you give one to God and one to man, and man's overcomes God's, which is, uh, all. again, there's too many times in Scripture where God violates people's will. Hey, go in and kill all of those people. Well, they didn't will it. <laughs> right? Did they will it? Have we not already seen in Romans 8 
that he brought all the world into subjection and corruption against its will? Remember, we talked about that earlier in Romans 8. Okay, well, you, 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 you have to deal with those passages. So, all right, let's continue. Um, 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, and uh, 2 Peter uh, 3 through 9, uh, they, they quote them as saying that God wills everyone to be saved. But on the other hand, he wills to preserve man's absolute free choice. In fact, he wills the second thing more than the first. According to the Arminian, what does he will the most? Your freedom more than your salvation. He wills your freedom more than your salvation. Now, Arminians think that that's a great thing. They're like, isn't that beautiful? How is that beautiful? He wills my freedom more than my salvation, which could lead me to an eternity in hell. And you say that's a wonderful thing? Isn't that just as messed up as me, as you getting upset with me saying God elected some? Because by God preserving every free will that God tries to preserve, he knows that that free will will lead the majority to hell. So therefore, he wants them to go where? To hell! Because if he didn't want them to go to hell, he could override their will. So even if you argue that God wills your freedom more than he does your salvation, you've created the exact same philosophical problem you have with Reformed theology. God says, okay, I'm going to give Bobby free will. Bobby's going to choose not to, to save me. And I will that more than I do the will to save him. You, there's no way you can say that he, his will to save Bobby is greater because he's given Bobby the ability to reject it. Therefore, his will is limited to what Bobby does. And who gave Bobby the ability to do it according to Arminian theology? God himself, knowing that that's going to lead Bobby to go to hell. Therefore, he gave Bobby literally the very, he gave him the gun, loaded the gun, and helped pull the trigger. Now, I know this gets into deep philosophical things that people don't like to deal with, but these are, these are the theological things you have to discuss. This is what drives me crazy when people want to talk about Arminianism and Calvinism, and they're like over here in the kiddie pool, and, they don't, and they're like, well, well, look, here's a verse. I'm like, have you thought this through? This, this, is, en- this is enough philosophical stuff going on here to, to just make you have a stroke. I mean, this, this is some difficult stuff. All right, well, I'll try to at least get to a stopping point here. I thought we were going to finish this, but you know, that's how that always works, okay? All right. Um, In fact, and I'll read this again, he wills the second thing more than the first. But this means that Arminians also must say that 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, and 2 Peter 3, 9, do not say God wills the salvation of everyone in an absolute or unqualified way. They must say that the verses only refer to one kind or one aspect of God's will. In other words, for an Arminian to read these passages, God wills everyone to be saved. They're like, well, wait a minute. He wills everyone to be saved, but that's only one aspect of his will because he also wills that everyone has free will and free will, he wills that more than he does to save them. So guess what? Both positions are very problematic. 
So what do I do when I get caught up in all the problems? Here's what I know. If you believe, you will be saved. That's what I know. How that all works with God's will, my will. I, man, you can, you, can, you can drive yourself insane. But I just want you to know, them quoting these verses, I, I, they always quote the verse with such an, a smug arrogance. Like, well, the Bible says everyone wants to be saved. I'm like, can you think it through for two seconds? You say that, not everyone saved. Well, 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 because, because people have free will. So God wills free will more than he does the stuff. So that means there's two aspects to God's will. So like, how can they not? Oh, it drives me. It drives me. And what makes me so mad is when I, whenever I was debating these kinds of things with, at the Bible Institute I was in, all I was trying to do is explain this. Just explaining it, I was like, you're a Calvinist! You're out of here! I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just trying to explain that you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, that's all I'm trying to do. Because these are issues like, it doesn't matter if you're a Calvinist. It doesn't matter if you're an Arminian. These are issues we all have to deal with because they relate to what? The interpretation of a text. It's not about Calvinism. It's not about Arminianism. It's like, don't go around screaming, God wills everyone to be saved without giving it three seconds of thought, going, well, wait a minute. That creates all kinds of problems. It's like, I, I get so frustrated that sometimes Christianity spends more time in the kiddie pool and they're, willing to, they're not willing to go over to the deep end and ask some hard questions. Do I like these questions? Well, okay, let's be honest. I do. I do like these deep questions, but... I don't like the deep questions when it comes to theology because there's so much writing on it. I wish there was unity. But the reason there's unity is nobody wants to go wade over into the deep side of the pool because they're like, oh, that's too complicated. Let me stay. I want to be where my feet can touch the bottom. Okay, well, fine. There's plenty of places where the the kiddie pool is open. Uh, We close the kiddie pool here, right? We, 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 we cemented the kiddie pool over, right? You, you've got one place to go here. That's the deep end. And, it's, that's, and we've been drowning for years, right? Okay. We, we don't even have a lifeguard. We don't even have a lifeguard on duty, okay? It's like, enter in. We don't have any life vest. There's nothing. You just come in, jump in the deep end, and hopefully you can make it to the top at some point, okay? But that's the way we do things, but you, some, there's got to be a place someone's willing to do that. Because these are just basic questions that you should ask of the text. And look, these questions had not been kept in secret, like in a hidden vault in the Vatican. Theologians have been asking these questions for 2,000 years of church history. Just pastors don't want to deal with it because it gets people... Like, if I was to talk about this in most churches, where, where would I be Monday? Unemployed. I would be. I'd be, I'd be in trouble. So, so guess what, pastor? Like, I'm just not going to worry about it. <clears throat> so you just say, God wills everyone to be saved. And everybody says, amen. amen. Now let's get to the golden corral before the buffet gets full. Right? See? Yeah, now I get an amen. Right? <clears throat> that's, that's the stuff that drives me crazy. All right? Uh, I've got to finish the sentence. Um, in fact, okay, he wills the second thing more than the first. But this means that Arminians also must say that 1 Timothy 2 and 2 Peter 3 do not say God wills the salvation of everyone in an absolute, unqualified way. They must say that the verse only refers to one kind or one aspect of God's will. And I'll stop there, no matter how much I want to read that next paragraph. I'll have to stop. All right, does that make sense?
All right. So when it comes to salvation, all right, quick review. The faster you, review, you, say, you answer these questions, the faster we're done. Okay? Forget election. Forget election. All right? So who can be saved? Anyone who believes. Election simply answers why they believe. Right? Now, if you don't like election, here's some basic questions you have to ask yourself. All right, does God command you to believe? Yes. Do you do it or does God do it? If you say you do it, then what did you just say? That you just worked your way into salvation because you believe, because you did something. It's something you did. Now, my friend in Nebraska tried to say, no, it's a different kind of work. It's a work. Is repentance, does God call you to repent for salvation? If that repentance, even if we say that's a change of mind, if you're the one who, who changes your mind, it's something you did. So you did something in order to be saved. Where we believe, So therefore you believed in salvation by works. I don't believe in a salvation by works. So what do I believe? That people believe because God grants them the faith. People repent because God grants them repentance. Okay? Where... Does that repentance and faith bring you to salvation? Does he give it to everyone? No, he doesn't. Why doesn't he give it to everyone? Because his, he works all things out according to his sovereign plan, and he has chosen some before the foundation of the world. Why? I don't know. Now, if you come along and quote two scriptures that seem to say, well, God wills everyone to be saved, you find yourself in a problem. What is the problem? Does God wills everyone to be saved. Is everyone saved? So obviously, he wills something greater than the will to save everyone. And according to the Arminian view, what does he will more than the salvation of everyone? Their will. But he's the one who gave them the will, knowing that they would use that will against him. So obviously, from the foundations of the world, he did not want them. Are you not right back into the reform camp? There you go. Any questions? Oh, good. Oh, okay. See, Will, Will's good. It has to be people. Now, okay. that, I'm glad one person, I'll send, I tell Will that I, I will send all of my emails to him that I get today calling us heretics and wanting to burn the church down. Okay, because yeah, there'll be a lot of people not happy with what we just said. But uh, listen, what I'm, I'm not even arguing for the reform position. I'm simply arguing that even if you hold the Arminian position, your position becomes illogical and breaks down and falls apart when I just ask you some basic questions. Right? So you say, well, then how do I interpret these passages? I don't have a clue. I think the Peter one is easy. It's to us word. That one, the Timothy one, maybe it's referring to all kinds of men. Maybe you could do that. Maybe. I know this. What, if God wills all people... In some particular way, he may. He calls all people to repentance. I do know that. And faith, I know that. But I know this. Who's going to believe? Those whom God chose. Right? And who's going to be saved? Those who believe. That, that's what we, we have to cling to that. Right? So if I, if, between an Arminian and a Reformed person, yes, these are issues we need to discuss, but we can agree on what? Stop arguing at some point. Now, there's times for those arguments, but stop and call people to what? Repentance and faith and tell them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may say they did it. 
well, then you believe in salvation by works. I believe they didn't do it. God grants them the faith. I believe in salvation by grace alone, the faith alone. You're basically a Catholic. Okay, so yeah, that, that, that's the only difference. Okay, now, okay, now, that, that, well, that will make him even more offended, but that's, that's okay. But the point is, is that's the one thing we can't agree on. People, anyone who believes will be saved. Anyone who believes will be saved. I want to say that again. Anyone who believes will be saved. And that, should be, that message should be preached to whom? Everyone. That part we can agree on. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Very difficult passage, a very complicated issue. I don't know if I made it even more complicated or if I helped clarify, but I'll leave that in your hands and hopefully benefit those who will hear this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.